reading from the book of John. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen. Hey, grab a seat, grab a seat. We have been journeying through the scriptures looking on what Jesus teaches us about prayer. And um, I don't know about you, but I just am seeing God move in powerful ways in people's lives, the things he's stirring up, the dependence it is creating, this reliance. And so the first week we looked at this idea, the importance of um, prayer is not about beckoning the presence of God. God is already present. Prayer is how we become aware of his presence, and we can tap into that power to be able to connect with him and be moved by him. Uh, last week, we looked at this idea of the importance of connecting prayers, that, that God cares about the seemingly small, meaningless things, because he's a God who created us for a relationship with him, and we need to open up every part of our life to connect with him. And what we're going to be looking at today is this idea of kingdom prayers, if we start with this premise that, okay, we understand that God is everywhere and ever-present in everyone, every moment of everyone's lives, and he wants to connect with us, we start to build that connection to see he cares about the small, seemingly meaningless things. It gives us a, a boldness to come to him with the big things. And then we come to the teachings of Jesus here in John 16, and we see that we are called to, call, to pray big, bold kingdom prayers in Jesus' name. And what we understand from his teachings that kingdom prayers are in the name of Jesus. Now, that, that is not something that we quite understand, that kingdom prayers are in the name of Jesus, okay? He, he said that he will give his people whatever is asked in his name. So, so what does that mean? What does that, what does that look like? Well, what I want to understand and look at is, first, this is not something that just Jesus said once. He, he doubles down throughout the, the Gospels on this. In Luke eleven nine, we looked at this last week. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. In John 14, he says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And then later on in John 15, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So what I want to understand today, because I think this is going to shape the way that we pray, is what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? And the first thing I want to say is to pray in the name of Jesus is to pray in the nature and authority of Jesus. 
We're praying as Jesus would pray. We're praying for the things that he would pray for. That's why his teachings are so important. But not just the nature, also the authority. There's authority that comes with the name of Jesus. You're praying his will over his kingdom by his authority. So to understand that, I want to get a a biblical overview of the story of authority. And I want to look at the biblical narrative. When we talk about the gospel, there's kind of this flow. It goes from creation to fall to redemption to restoration, okay? There's this flow to the gospel. But if we look at it through the lens of authority, um, we see that there's this cosmic power struggle, and prayer has a massive role to play in it. So let's just kind of look at this this journey, get an overview. First, um, what I want you to understand that humanity is that humanity was actually created to rule. There was a purpose to creation, and, and here's what I mean. Genesis 1:26 says, "Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that what? So that they may rule." over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. This phrase, it's not some kind of dominant, you know, power hungry. This is actually a beautiful partnership that that God created all of creation, all of universe, and then he gave humanity a unique role. You know what that unique role is? That in the image of God, we are to partner with him in ruling and caring for and reigning this earth. You were created with, with an authority in this world. And that is, that's an incredible, that's the foundation. That's the beginning. So we have to understand that we were created to rule. Now, there's a shift that happens. And this happens like, you're like a page and a half in to the, the, the Bible story. And you get to Genesis 3. And we see that the devil is the deceiver. We are deceived by Satan. Now, often we read about the fall, and we're like, oh, like, Adam, Eve, you should not have eaten that apple. Like, we, we don't know it was an apple. It's probably a watermelon, but we don't know what it was. But we look at that story, and we're like, oh, this is the moment where, you know, we, we fell short. And, and that is true. And this is the moment where separation was caused. But also, this was the moment where Satan comes to try to steal our authority. This is actually what's happening. This is why he starts to question that partnership. Did God really say there's, all this, there's this deception there that's like, no, you won't surely die. God is not really good. Actually, in fact, you know what you should do? You sh- God's given you a little bit of power for partnership. You should take it all. You, should, you don't need to be bound by his rules. You overstep those rules, and you will see that you have just as much rule and authority with God. And what is Satan doing in that moment? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's deceiving humanity so that he can steal rule back, that he can steal rule from us. This is what John Tyson, a pastor in New York City, says, and he explains it like this, and it's brilliant. He says, when Satan comes along, he's looking to steal the authority and right to create the culture of the world. This is what we're experiencing, and this is what we have experienced, that there is now this tension between humanity and God and evil. He is looking for a place to exert his rule and reign in the human System. This is what Genesis 3 is about. Satan took, what he took was rulership over this earth from humanity. 
Now, how do we know that? Well, we actually know that even in the New Testament. We, we look at Satan's journey. He's always looking for power, is he not? He's always looking for rulership. And we see a glimpse of that even in Ephesians 2. It says, as for you, you were dead in your tr- transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of what? Of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirits, lowercase spirit, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. It's rulership. It's authority. That's what, that's what Satan grasped in Genesis 3. And there's this, this struggle. But um, you know what the good news of the Bible is? It's always Jesus. And uh, that's the third wave is that Jesus shows up and Jesus reclaims. And, and we have to understand that part of the gospel is Jesus reclaiming. When you read the Old Testament prophecies, it says, it uses language like the government will be on his shoulders, okay? And, and it's not talking about political party, that's talking about rulership. It's saying that the Messiah is coming to reclaim, to take back rightful rule and authority of this earth. That's part of what Jesus showed up to do, okay? And so, yes, it's pay for our sins, but it's not just that, it's reclaiming his rule and reign over this. This is why he says in Matthew 28, all authority, this is after he has died upon the cross, after he is raised from the dead, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I showed up to take things back. This is why Jesus came. He came to restore our relationship with our creator, but also to restore our identity and purpose that we now can join together again with God and ruling this earth. Now, is Satan still here? Absolutely he is. So it's called the now and not yet. So one day, Satan will be gone, evil will be gone. It'll only be the presence of God with God's people in God's place under God's rule. That is the kingdom. But right now, there's this tension. And so if we understand the biblical narrative and the story, we're living in this tension. And so how do we gain authority back? How do, we, how do we have any kind of authority, any kind of influence in this moment in time where there's this tension? Well, that's the call of kingdom authority. And this is what Jesus actually is calling us to in John 16. It says, in that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. He's having this discussion with his disciples and they're like, hey, like, so we just ask you for stuff now and then you just like tell your dad, right? Like that's how it's gonna always work. And Jesus is like, no, I'm going away. But, but you have to understand, when I go away, I'm not leaving you Knoll of power or influence or impact in the world. No, I'm actually, I'm sending the helper. I'm sending the Holy Spirit and I'm giving you a tool. You know what that tool is? You get to invoke my name. As the king of this earth, you are a part of this family. You are redeemed yours. As the ruler of this earth, you get to call upon my name and that has authority. It shapes the way you think about prayer, doesn't it, right? It, it, in the name of Jesus is no longer just like this tagline we use at the end of prayer to make sure like it's all official, right? You know, we sign the document at the end, okay? Right? It, there's actually a, 
it shapes how we think about prayer. See, this whole journey from creation to, to fall, to redemption, to restoration, being created to rule, having the devil deceive and take it back, having Jesus reclaim, and now there's kingdom authority. You know what the pathway to this is? It's through prayer. Changes the way you think about prayer, doesn't it? There's an unlocking to prayer, and this is what Jesus is saying. Anything you ask in my nature and in my authority, it's going to be given to you. And so would we be a praying people? Praying in the name of Jesus is praying with kingdom authority. And this is why we pray in his name and his nature and his authority. This is the conversation that he's having with his disciples. He's like, listen, what you've done up until now, it's not prayer. It's conversation, but I'm, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And he loves you, and he wants you to have access. And you know what your access to authority on this earth is? It's through me. When I, uh, when I was growing up, me and my siblings, uh, we were what I would call little mall rats because uh, my parents owned uh, an Orange Julius. Uh, they were these, there was these things called malls. Uh, back in the 90s where people would go in and, and shop. Uh, it wouldn't just show up at your door after two days. And, um, and I loved it. We loved being in the mall. And one of my favorite things was when we were at the mall, we could go up to the Orange Julius and get anything we wanted for free dollars, for free hundred, for free. It was amazing, right? Because my... My dad owned it, right? And so it was like, no, this is my parents' shop. And so they would say whatever you want. So we'd get, you know, we'd get like Sprite with unlimited ice in it. It was like incredible. They had these hot dogs and we'd put them, we didn't have like microwaves. Like they would be hot already, but you'd put cheese on it and they put in this like steamer thing and it would like melt it. Oh, it it was glorious, right? It was glorious, right? But back before we, before we knew what cardiac arrest was, it was, the food was amazing, right? Nachos with jalapenos and shredded beef. Like, and we would just go. And it, the problem is eventually you reach a point where you're like, I don't want that food anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like mall food has not just an expiration. Actually, it has no expiration date. Uh, but it has a limit to where you're like, I don't think I want to eat that anymore. But there was like a renewal of our of the joy of that. When we got a little bit older, we were in our early teenage years and we could bring friends with us to the mall and we would go around and we would, it was this joy to walk up to the, my parents' store, the Orange Julius, and like be able to get whatever we want for free, right? And so you're almost like showing off. Eventually you, you kind of get good at it and you're like, no, 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 you just go up and order. So they're like ordering, they tell them the total and then you like step in there like, oh no, there like, ooh, ooh, Jason first of his name, son of Bruce, <laughs> heir of the empire Julius, here are your nachos, right? You know, they, you know these teenagers would just like embrace the moment. They knew what we were doing. They would make this big deal about it. Right? Yeah, yeah, we get free nachos whenever we want, you know, right? And why were we, why? Nothing to do with me, right? I didn't, I didn't pay for those. No, I didn't have money. I didn't, like... It was because I could invoke the name of my father. There was authority there. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying the nachos are on me, guys, right? He's saying there is authority. Sorry, I won't use that again. (laughs) That was a dry, 9.30, you get all the dry runs. (laughs) 
Oh, oh. Borderline heretical. Okay. Um, <clears throat> to pray in Jesus' name is to pray with recovered authority. You see what I'm saying? You see what Jesus is teaching here? So in Jesus' name, again, it's not a tagline. It's the exercise of his victory over Satan. And so we pray kingdom prayers. We're praying for things that Jesus himself wants to bring. We're praying in the nature of Jesus and the authority of Jesus. To pray is to exercise the same access that the Son has to the Father. This is what Jesus is telling us. This is, this is how New Testament scholar Larry Hurtado put it. He says, to pray in Jesus' name means that we enter into Jesus' status in God's favor and invoke Jesus' standing with God. There's authority in that, is there not? It, this changes the way you think about prayer. Listen, you are not Jesus, but if you are a follower of Jesus, every single time you pray, you come before the Father clothed in the robe and crown of a ruler because it's the blood of Jesus that covers you and it's the authority of Jesus. In the eyes of heaven, you are filled with Jesus' status and standing because of what he has done and what he has given us. God won authority back and the way we access, the way we invoke that authority is through prayer in the name of nature and authority of Jesus. I don't know about you, but as I studied that, I was like, that changes everything for me. If we really understood this, um, it wouldn't be hard to get the people of God to pray, would it? It'd be hard to get them to go to work. <laughs> It'd be hard to get us to do anything else. But this is what Jesus is saying. Would we be a people who pray in the authority that Jesus run back. And so what would we pray and how would we pray? Well, we would, king, we would pray kingdom prayers. And I, I just wanna look at a few kingdom prayers that we would pray with a unique boldness that I think all of us are called to pray. And I want you to feel just compelled to pray. First, um, I, wanna, I want you to pray for the destruction of the kingdom of darkness. You guys, we are experiencing it, are we not? Like we, are, like we are on the, we just feel on the fringes of it. There is a kingdom of darkness. And as followers of Jesus, we should actively pray that Satan's kingdom would be destroyed. Yes. That we would acknowledge that we live in an, the already not yet tension right now. And when we see these things, that we would call it evil. And we would call it broken. This is what we're, this is what we're experiencing. And, and what's happened is the church has started to say, oh, like it's the culture. The culture is oppressing the church and we need to just create our bubble. It, you, listen, what you're experiencing is not the culture oppressing the church. What you're experiencing is the evil one deceiving humanity. It is a brokenness that we're all experiencing. And we have a role to be salt and light in the earth and to speak goodness and to speak love. And so when you see brokenness and when you see hurting people, they are not the enemy. They are image bearers of Jesus who have been deceived by the evil one. And we have to pray and actively work against that. This is what 2 Corinthians says. He says, the God, lowercase g, 
The God of this age, who is that? It's the evil one. It's the prince of this world. It's Satan who temporarily stole this authority. You know what else it says? It says he's prowling around like a roaring lion. This is what, Satan. you understand that Satan has been defeated, okay? He has been defeated, but it has not yet happened. So what's happened is he has been mortally wounded upon the cross. He knows his death and destruction is coming, and he's going to drag as many people with him as he can. That's what we experience. And so it says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And you feel this, do you not? And we look around, what do we experience? This is, this is darkness, fear, addiction, perversion, killing, broken families, abuse, rape, poverty. None of that is the way of the kingdom. And so as followers of Jesus, we are both to actively work against that and actively pray against it. To say, man, this, this brokenness, this spirit of fear that people are experiencing, that is not the spirit of God. In fact, in Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, for God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power that's the authority of Jesus, of love, to love those who are different than you and even disagree with you and the, even your enemies, to, of love and of self-control. No, I can live a different life because of the Holy Spirit in me. And so we see all of this from addiction, perversion of gender and sexuality, killing of precious life, broken families. That is God, you, you realize God established the family? Like, the government is not the basis of our society. The family unit is. And so he knows, man, you want to attack this country? You want to attack these people? You go off to the marriages. You, br- you bring about brokenness in the families, abuse from kids to, to wives, children being abused, r- the rage and anger, right? Has anybody, like, seen rage lately, Right? It's almost like when somebody's nice, you're like, what's happening right now, you know? Like, the poverty on our streets. This is the kind of world that Satan wants to build. And we have to understand there's a powerful and persistent spiritual resistance to the gospel proclamation in various forms. And we feel it. And I I would argue we feel it. I, I don't know if you guys have spent much time traveling around our country, there is a unique stronghold here. There is a unique stronghold here. And we are on the front lines of it. And in many ways, we have two options. One, you can run and hide from it to places that feel safer. And a lot of you are experiencing friends and neighbors and loved ones who are doing that. And, um, but there's another option. And you know what the other option is? to pray and actively work against it, to say, no, we are called to be salt and light, and if this is where God has placed us in this moment in time, then we are gonna be a people of hope, and we are gonna be people of grace and of love. And so, praying your kingdom come, it's an act of faithful allegiance to the rightful rule of Christ, and an act of courageous rebellion against the tyranny of Satan. And so we pray, Jesus, your kingdom come. We pray actively against what we experience. I mean, consider the implication of God's kingdom coming 
and Satan's kingdom being tied? Like, what would our city look like? What would the greater Portland area look like if Satan no longer had a stronghold, if churches began to rise up and be planted and partner together and move forward? What would the streets look like? What would addiction look like? What would families look like? What would marriages look like? What would the exaltation of Jesus look like? Swiss theologian Karl Barth, he put it like this. To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. And that's what we're called to. Man, would we pray against the kingdom of darkness? Let me just give you some very clear examples, calls that all of us should be calling, how we should be praying over our city and our community. First, you guys pray for our schools. Man, pray for our schools. I, I was listening to a podcast the other day. Some, somebody was talking about kids' ministry in church, and they made this offhanded comment, and it just is stuck with me. They said, uh, you know, everybody knows you win the kids, you win the future. Everybody knows you win the kids, you win the future. And I could not agree more. And you know who else knows that? The enemy knows that. And so, first of all, let me just speak to those of you guys who are teaching or actively working in public schools. God bless you. Your church is behind you. We are with you. We are in support of you. But all of us, we need to be praying over these schools and praying for these teachers and coming along and supporting and walking with them. Second, uh, pray for police and politicians, okay? As we see violence and destruction and addiction rise up. Man, would we pray for people on the front lines? And listen, I I know that people care so much about politics, but most of the politics people care about are thousands of miles away. You know what matters more is locally what's happening here. And I'm so grateful for the brothers and sisters in Christ who have gotten involved in, in, in city councils and school boards and things like that, but we have to be praying for them. Would these people know how actively, both, both, how actively our church supports them and comes around them? That they would, maybe they don't feel any support from the city or individuals or citizens, but you know what? Would we be a church that says we, we are for you and we come around you? And, and third, would you pray against darkness spreading? Because um, it feels like it is. Um, I don't know if you guys. Uh, still ever go down into Portland, like downtown. Like my wife and I, we have date night and we'll go down to Portland because incredible food down in Portland, right? And like, you're like, this feels risky. You know what I'm saying, Uh, right? And it's just, that city has fallen apart. And this isn't some like, you know, like, (laughs) Gresham's better than Portland. I mean, Gresham is better than Portland. Uh, but, (laughs) But like, this is not an us and them. This is our community, and we are connected, and so we need to actually be praying against that spreading, that we would be moving that direction, okay? So one, a kingdom prayer is praying for the destruction of the kingdom of darkness. Two, a prayer, pray for the salvation of the lost. These handwritten notes are from the prayer wall that many of you have written. There's names on there, there's a, man, would these brothers and sisters, family members, friends, would they actually become saved? I want you to see how God talks about this, okay? First Timothy 2 says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. 
This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what God wants. God wants your neighbor to get saved. God wants your child to be saved. God wants your father to be saved. That's what he wants. That's what he longs for. And so in praying, we're praying in the nature of Jesus. We're we're invoking that. And so we should come along and pray persistent prayers. One of the great theologians of the 19th century was a man named D.L. Moody. He would have massive, he was this massive evangelist, okay? And he would have crowds of over 30,000 people. In the 1800s, 30,000 people would gather together to hear him preach. But one of the biggest impacts that he is most famously known for was this list of 100 names he carried in his pocket. I literally wrote it out, typed them one at a time just to see how long it would take me. And I'm like, that's just numbers. And he had 100 names of people who were far from God, that he would pray for daily. He would plead with God to reveal himself to each one of them in a way they could perceive and receive his eternal love. And what's incredible is when he he would, as they would receive Christ, he would make a little note on his paper. And as of his, the day he died, um, 96 out of those 100 became Christians. It was amazing, right? Like that, I'll take 96% in anything, you know? Like that's amazing, okay? Uh, but, but it gets better, okay? Here's where it gets better. Those four people who had not yet accepted Christ attended his funeral, and each one of them were so moved by the gospel being proclaimed that individually, separately, they all gave their life to Christ that day. Like that's pretty good, you know what I'm saying? But he was persistent. This was his whole life. And so he's preaching to crowds of 30,000 people. But you know where warfare took place? In the closet, on his knees. And so who are you praying for actively? This is a picture of my son from the worship night, writing on that prayer wall, the name of his grandfather, actively praying for Grandpa Ben to come to know Jesus. Who are you praying for? And and here's what I'm gonna invite you in in a minute here as we wrap up in worship. Uh, I'm gonna invite you to go back to that prayer wall, grab one. We ran out of space on the plexiglass. We thought we were all trendy and cool. We we pretty much ran out of space on the plexiglass, so there's Sharpies back there. So start writing on the prayer wall. Write their name. Write your prayer for them. Write kingdom prayers. We should all have names that we are actively praying for. And then as we're praying, what do we pray? Man, pray for opportunities to invite them. One invitation could change a life, that you would be able to invite them to experience the goodness of grace. For those who are far away, I actively pray for friendships of influence. That's something we always pray for Grandpa Ben for. Man, would you bring loving believers into his life that would be able to influence him for the gospel? And then pray for Holy Spirit transformation. Because what they need is a, reg- a new birth, a regeneration of the Spirit. Not some kind of argument to pers- persuade them, but the Holy Spirit to fall on them. But we don't only pray for the salvation of individuals. Lastly, here's the prayer that we need. We need to pray for kingdom advancement. Jesus says that 
taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You guys, would we pray that the kingdom would advance in our city? Kingdom prayers are prayers to see God's redemptive rule and reign be experienced in our city as it is in heaven. And, and I don't think he's just being metaphorical here. I, I actively believe, I truly believe that he's teaching us what he wants is that when people experience our church community, when people come into this place, they get a taste of heaven. And that as we go Monday through Saturday, that that glimpse of the kingdom would advance and spread outward. What if Gresham started to be a foretaste of the kingdom? What if we saw people healed? What if we saw people united in worship of Jesus? What if we sat together and ate meals rather than fought each other? What if the city truly became saturated with the gospel? And so let's pray kingdom advancement in powerful ways. How do we do that? One, pray for rise to grow in influence. I don't just mean like grow numerically. Like you could ask for more parking spots. That would be great. But like grow in influence that we would be able to, because we are messengers of the gospel, and we want people of our city to know there is a place that they can call home, a place that they can belong, a place where they can feel, experience redemption and hope, a place that will call them to more than they ever imagined. You know what that place is? It's called the church. Man, so would you actively pray, Lord, I have no idea what you're gonna do over the next five, 10, 15, 25 years, but would we pray for the future that we would grow in influence. Second, you guys pray for the churches around us. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Are they different than us? Yes, of course. That's a good thing. We need all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. But if we're preaching the same gospel, we're on the same team. You realize that, right? And I, heard, I heard a story, this is like past third, fourth hand now, but I heard this story the other day of a group of individuals that were attend, used to be at Rise attending another church, and they wanted to meet with the pastor to share some of their frustrations of why they left Rise. And they sat down with the pastor, and he looked at them and he said, oh, I know Rise, and Rise is a gospel-preaching church. Therefore, they are our partners in the gospel, and I don't wanna hear any of it. <laughs> Do you know how honored I felt in that moment? Okay, yeah, I, yeah, I felt really honored. I mean, I wanted to say, him to say a few other things, but that was fine. I was good with that, you know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. We better do the same. We better actively love these churches around us and not say, oh, they're so different. Praise God, they're different. Praise, because they are preaching the same gospel, and it's the gospel that has the power to change lives. And so would you actively, when you hear about a need or something happening in a church around us, would you fall to your knees and pray for them? Pray God's blessing over them. Pray for kingdom advancement. To see our city saturated with the gospel is not gonna, be, not gonna happen through one church. It's gonna happen through a family of churches united in one mission. And so those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we will pray for, honor, speak well of, invest in, and cheer them on in the gospel. And third, prayer of kingdom advancement, pray for the next generation of this church. Now, 
Like, what if all that we are building, praying for, investing in, working towards wasn't for us? What if it was for those kids in that hallway? What if it was for their kids? What if there was a new story written about the church in this city? Not one of pain, wounds, disconnection, church hurt. What if it was a story of redemption and healing and opportunity and raising up? And so would we pray for the next generation of this church? That far beyond, that we would, we would devote our lives. I don't know how long we have. Five, 10, 25, 30, 40 years, that we would devote the rest of our time to building something for the future that would be healthy, gospel-centered, God-honoring, and would flip this city upside down. And those are kingdom Amen. prayers. Amen. Like, what if we were a people who prayed in the name of Jesus? And I just want to end with this, this, this story I came across about the Atacama Desert in Chile because it's the driest, most barren place in the world. There's like hardly any vegetation, no rain. It is a harsh and barren landscape. Nothing but vast stretches of sand, rock, and salt flats. Um, they get so little rain, there's times where they have gone over a decade without rain in this specific region. It has extreme temperatures, strong winds, and it is the most inhabitable environment on this planet in many ways. And I was looking at that and reading about that, and I was like, man, that feels like a metaphor for the spiritual state of this city. I don't know if you realize this, but like Portland has kind of become rumored as the place where church plants go to die. In fact, in our city, I don't know of another church. We're, we're coming up on year 10, and I don't know of another, a newer church plant in our area. I'm not saying they aren't there. I just don't know of them yet. It is a spiritual, barren wasteland. But what if, what if that got flipped upside down? See, here's what moved me so much about this desert and what was so powerful is that every few years, the desert experiences a phenomenon known as the Atacama Desert Super Bloom, where a burst of these Peruvian lily flowers comes about, and it takes over the landscape. And as far as you can see, there's just life everywhere. How does this happen? I'll tell you how it happens. The seeds of those flowers have been scattered across by the wind and dryness for generations. So everywhere you go, these seeds are just spread throughout this desert. And then every five to seven years, there is a downpour of rain. And these seeds, they're not just dead seeds, they are pregnant with potential. They're not pointless, they're not purposeless. And this downpour, it triggers these dormant seeds to start to germinate in this sea of colorful beauty. What if we spent our lives scattering seeds? We, we can't bring a downpour. We cannot. We have no power to do that. But you know who does? The king of this universe. And so we are not called to bring the downpour. We are called to spread the seeds. Seeds of prayer, 
Seeds of evangelism, seeds of grace, seeds of healing, seeds of goodness. And if we just spent our lives scattering seeds in this dry desert land, and we're like, oh, it didn't ha- nothing happened this year, nothing happened this year, nothing happened this year. Maybe it won't ever happen in our lifetime, but you are called to scatter seeds. Would you pray for the churches of this area? Would you pray for the lost souls? Would you pray for the kids? Would you pray for the people? Would you scatter seeds so that when God chooses to bring the rain, we will see an outpouring of grace and goodness that is so far beyond what we could ever imagine? Those are kingdom prayers. And that is what we're called to do. Lord, would you use us to be a praying people to just scatter seeds? Would we be obedient and fall into our needs? Would we not even need to see the fruit? But would your request of us, your command of us to pray, to pray for the lost, to pray for our city, to pray for our church, would that command be enough? And Lord, in your time, would you bring about a super bloom of grace that everywhere you look, you just see what was once a dry and barren spiritual wasteland becomes an oasis of the gospel. We pray all this in your name. Amen.